Hello, my name is TJ Martin. I'm the head of R&D here at Abstracts. I'm responsible for cannabis flavor research as well as all of our um, terpene-based flavor research as well. about our Curious About Cannabis events, go to cacpodcast.com slash events. And if your company would like to become an event sponsor, visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn more. Hey, everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to be sitting down with TJ Martin from Abstracts Tech. Uh, to talk all about a study that I've been, uh, I've mentioned a little bit on social media and I've been wanting to dive into more. Um, As some of you know, I had to take a brief break over the winter. So I'm really excited to finally catch up with TJ to talk all about cannabis um, aromas and flavors um, and kind of all of the nuance that goes into thinking about that um, as far as quality and and what these chemicals are that influence things like aroma and flavor. So uh, TJ, thanks so much for being willing to sit down today and take the time to nerd out on all these things. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, And before we really jump into the, you know, the, the meat of research that we have to get into today, do you mind giving our listeners just a little introduction into who you are um, and Abstracts Tech, the company, and and kind of what your core mission is that you're trying to do. Yeah, so my name's TJ. Um, I run all of our R&D t- departments here. And so I'm an, I have a background in analytical chemistry. And when I came to Abstracts, really came to really understand and study more about what makes cannabis unique from a flavor and aroma perspective. Why do certain strains of cannabis like gelato smell inherently different and taste different than that of like a Jack Herer type or the Hazes or an OG even, right? There's this wide variety of flavors and aromas in cannabis. And typically at that time, there wasn't too much research into it just because at the the federal level, it's obviously illegal, right? Right. So a lot of universities can't research cannabis. So there was a a pretty big gap in knowledge in the industry. And so when I came to Abstracts, Abstracts at the time was very interested in understanding more about what makes cannabis special from a flavor and um, aroma standpoint. Why is it so unique? And so when I first started, Abstracts was a pretty small company. It was the second employee they hired. Nice. Came here right after I left um, my graduate school program in Texas and just dove headfirst into the world of everything terpenes and cannabis flavors and aroma. And Abstracts has really been a, um, a pioneer in trying to understand why why does cannabis smell the way it does? Why does it taste the way it does? How does this impact the product quality? How does it impact the way you feel about the product, how it tastes? Maybe even the euphoric high of the product, right? Yeah. Obviously, we know anecdotally, OGs have a much more um, relaxing and sedating effect when consumed rather than a haze or a Jack Harrier type that are much more uplifting and potentially even energizing. So I really want to dive into that and understand why is that, right? Because right at the time, this only a few years ago, nobody really knew. And even to right. this day, there's a lot of things we still don't know about the plant just because it is Tons. such a new industry, right? I mean, can't get too removed from the fact that 
it's only been legalized in some states for maybe a decade. That's right. A, uh, recreationally, it's not even that long. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. No. And um, you know, I was excited to see some of the research that Abstracts has been doing because my background comes from analytical chemistry as well. Um, and I was working in the commercial testing side way back when, when it was kind of first jumping off. And one thing that was disappointing to me <clears throat> in that realm was that the, the commercial testing labs were so overwhelmed with uh, all of the compliance stuff that they had to do that there's not a ton of uh, bandwidth available to do investigative research. And so these are all questions, you know, that have been circulating in my head for ages. And I've been sitting around with equipment that like, we could look at these questions, <laughs> but no, uh, you know, no time and energy to actually um, do the work to, to um, see what chemicals are, are influencing these, all of these um, organoleptic differences, as well as, as you pointed out, the differences in effect as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think it's, it's really great that, you know, as a company, um, you are focused on um, publishable scientific research as well as product development and everything. And there are a lot of companies that say they want to do research and it never happens. There are no publications ever. So um, this excites me anytime I, I see a company that's, that's really, um, you know, walking the walk and instead of just, just talking the talk. So um, very exciting. And what were you studying in grad school before you made the transition into um, the cannabis industry and looking at all the stuff at the cannabis plant? Um, I was researching solid state chemistry and solid state physics nice. and for materials um, works. So There's a lot of fundamental science, completely unrelated to everything I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, like halfway through graduate school, I got the opportunity to come work for abstracts. And when I initially went to graduate school, I went with the intention to become more of a research scientist because I wanted mm -hmm. to get into cannabis research, but there was nothing at the university level. Right. Really. How There's do you do very, that? Very few people that do it. Right. Yep. Even it takes years to get a DEA license. Yep. Um, it's just really it's a ton of red tape. And so I ended up in that group about halfway through, I got the opportunity to come to abstracts and be a research scientist and work on everything, flavors and aromas with cannabis. And I thought it was a really cool opportunity. So I left my graduate school program to come back to California. Nice. And come work wow. at Abstracts, and I mean, it's been a great, it's been an amazing experience to be honest. We have an ownership who is fully supportive of scientific research, not just for creating products. Obviously, that's what we do, right? We're a company right. that provides on Abstracts Tech um, botanically derived flavor blends and and cannabis inspired flavors and fragrances, right? We really specialize in trying to understand what makes cannabis unique, and then recreate that without any actual cannabis, so it tastes and smells the same. Yeah. Um, but with this research we, that we are um, generating out of Abstracts Labs, which is our licensed cannabis facility for extraction, which where we house all of our specialized instrumentation for analyzing the flavor and aroma of cannabis, we actually take that research as well. Not only do we license it for product creation, but writing up scientific publications and educating the industry. There's yeah. a lot of questions like that you have and a lot of folks that who are going to um, purchase cannabis products who don't know what makes each strain unique and different, right? We know how they smell different, you know how they may taste different. We don't know why that is and don't know how that impacts shelf life, don't know how that impacts the consumer experience. Um, yep. There's so many questions out there, right? And so we have the opportunity here. I'm so grateful with the support of ownership and such a talented R&D team that we're able to just not only make these discoveries, but publish them as well for the, the greater community. Yeah. 
And when you, when you started diving into studying the cannabis plant, what are a few things that kind of, um, uh, I don't know, that kind of stood out to you or surprised you as you were starting to learn about the chemistry of the plant, especially these volatile components um, and, and just the extracts and, and the market and kind of what the consumer demand is? What was that um, kind of uh, experience learning curve like where you're diving, you know, head first into um, all of these many, many rabbit holes around the, the cannabis plant. I'm sure you've already, um, I know just from the publications you've learned a lot, but I'm sure just from working in the lab and, and all of the things uh, that you're all doing that aren't published as well, you've probably absorbed an immense amount. Yeah, I mean, there's been a ton of opportunities. I mean, some of the first was when we first got our instrumentation in-house which is our multidimensional gas chromatograph. Mm -hmm. So we're able to see um, three, four, 500 compounds in any specific sample we analyze. When we first ran our first cannabis samples, um, it was mind blowing how many things we actually identified. It was like, wow, you know, because the traditional testing lab doesn't have the luxury of time to yep. sit there and really analyze what makes one strain unique. Yep. The business is getting as many samples done because they're overloaded with samples, right? And they yep. got to make sure things are compliant and safe to consume. They don't necessarily always have the time to see what makes this unique from just a scientifically you know, like a quality perspective, right? Exactly. And so yeah. when we started diving into it, like, man, there's so much stuff in here. And <laughs> all these strains are different and unique in their different ways, right? Like gelato is definitely different from Jack Herrer, which is different from an OG yeah. or a Runs. Like there's just so many, you see it in the data, there's so many different flavor and compounds between things like obviously different ratios of terpenes and terpenoids. Um, different flavor compounds like your ketones, your esters, your alcohols, yep. as well as your what we discovered the volatile sulfur compounds, right? Yep. And what makes these strains smell skunky and gassy. And that's really one of the things when I first came on board, we wanted to identify is we obviously we were making terpenes, right? Mm -hmm. But they didn't smell skunky or gassy at the right. time. They smell yep. good. They have mm -hmm. some cannabis notes. We can smell that with a lot of the profiles, but it didn't have that like signature skunky gassy note. And so we want to know like why is that? What's missing? Can we go find and identify that? And so, so we really started hammering in on these VSCs because if you look into other um, botanical species like durian, onion, garlic, mm -hmm. yeah. or even animals like skunks, a lot of the really strong sulfurous smells are coming from sulfur compounds. So right. let's see, maybe there's something similar here in cannabis, right? And lo and behold, there was. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. I invite um, folks to to look up this this paper and I'll post it in the, in the show notes a link to it and everything but to actually look at um, some of the molecules you found because um, some of these compounds that are producing these very distinctive sharp notes they're relatively simple molecules they're like I um, I you know isoprene units with a sulfur on the end or a sulfur in a um, you know a um, carboxyl group or something you know they're they're not these um, you know, they're just like a lot of terpenoids are. They're not that complex um, in terms of size and um, and everything like that. But yet they pack a powerful punch um, in their contribution to the overall aroma, um, which was one thing just immediately I found really fascinating. I was like, that's just an, you know, an isoprene with a sulfur on the end. Um, mm -hmm. And yet it's such a sharp, you know, interesting smell, which makes sense because it's small. It's super volatile. Um so it's uh, super fascinating. And I guess we can go ahead and, and go right into that. So what were some of the um, these sulfur-containing molecules that you discovered that are 
contributing to that skunky smell. Um, and I guess a side note too, because I'm sure people listening are wondering, when we talk about the skunky notes of cannabis, are we talking about the skunky notes that you generally smell as the plant's growing or the skunky notes that you generally smell after it's cured? Because those are slightly different. Um, and I, I just imagine on my Discord and things, people are going to ask me about that distinction. So, I mean, there's obviously a few different compounds, right? We, I think we detailed, I think it's between like four to six different ones in that paper. Yeah. Um, one of the major ones being prenyl mercaptan, which is the prenyl thiol, right? As well as prenyl thiol acetate, diprenyl disulfide. Um, there's a couple other ones in there and it followed. What we found really interestingly was the similar trend is in garlic. But mm-hmm. garlic didn't have a prenyl group. Instead, it had those same sulfur functionalities and that same trend, but with an allele group. And those same compounds that are in garlic that give it its unique flavor and aroma, those are also the compounds being researched for some of its cardiovascular benefits, yep. as well as anti-cancerous benefits as well. So we found that pretty interesting. Maybe these have some potential medical uh, right. benefits in cannabis. But as far as like <clears throat> when we went measuring it, we want to know, like, obviously, we want to see how does this really in the final cured product, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what the end consumers um, smoking. That's what they're enjoying. That's what they're looking for. But once we identified what that was, then we went and see, hey, how is this produced in the plant in the growth cycle? And so we did a little greenhouse trial. And we we were measuring it from the start of growth all the way until the day we pulled it down to cure it, as well as um, I think it was like a week after cure. And we see these compounds do start um, being produced by the plant around, I think it's around week, six and seven Hmm. and starts Mm -hmm. to increase and it has exponential increases right at the end and it is the same sulfur compounds that are in the final product that we didn't know in the earlier weeks but they're in different concentrations Hmm. so Mm -hmm. concentrations of these sulfur notes is really important because if you don't have enough you're obviously not going to smell it all right and as you have lower amounts it does have a, a different experience to you from when you smell it than when you have the exact amount cannabis produces in the cured flower or if it's way above that, it becomes very smoky, cat, almost like cat pee-like. Mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah. off-putting. And so, and it's not only just these there, it's the fact that they're there with the different terpenes. Because in and right. of itself on their own, while yes, they do impart a skunky, gassy note, by itself it doesn't smell like skunky, gassy weed on Sure, yep. It has its own sulfurous note, and it smells reminiscent of it, but the true like cannabis scent really needs that whole ensemble there to tell the full story. Like having the myrcene, the limonene, all yeah. those different terpenes and flavor compounds. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good note, uh, good point to make, and it, I guess that's really where the complexity and formulation comes in. Of how do you understand these the ratios of these compounds to one another and how they present in cannabis, and then thinking about how you recreate that to get to those very characteristic aromas um that you're right there's there isn't a uh, a single compound that's going to perfectly capture that smell um it's it's always a bouquet of of smells that we're um encountering um and i think it's really one thing i really love about the the study that you published is exactly what you just said that you looked at the final product and to understand that and then went back to to monitor it across the um, uh, the life cycle of the plant, um, I think that's extremely valuable for anyone that's wanting to try to uh, think about how you know, for instance, harvest time might influence um, 
some of the the final organoleptic characteristics um, of a product, uh, even storage conditions and and other things like that. Obviously, we're talking about volatile sulfur compounds, so these are things that are, you know, steadily leaving the plant over time. And so I hope that by bringing attention to this paper, especially cultivators that are listening, I hope that this will give them some ideas and thinking about how they handle the plant. I mean, they're already thinking about terpenoids in general, but you know, this just provides even more data to think about, you know, okay, where are we at in the growth cycle? What might be happening right now in the plant? And how do we want to think about um, how we want to handle that plant and how we want to influence the, the final product? Um, was there anything in the, in the study? And I guess one thing I'll, I'll note in case anyone coming from a non-scientific background that looks at this paper and they're like, what does it mean that something's printillated? Um, it just means there's something uh, like fatty attached to it. Um, it's kind of the simplest way to... Yeah, it's just a way of describing how the carbon atoms are basically attached to the sulfur molecule. Just yeah. a it's just an easier way of describing it chemically. Yeah. That's all it really is. just a name for the chemical. Yeah. And I mean, something else to have to rediscover these. Obviously, we want to see how it was impacted on cannabis growth, right? But also, how does it impact it in extracts? And now that we know this information, um, myself, Ian, mm -hmm. Marcos, other people from Abstracts on this paper, Kevin, how can we utilize this information to really go and understand more about the plant extracts and further empower the community to continue to make better and better products? Right. And we saw that in extracts that these compounds, I mean, a lot of extracts, as you're familiar, I'm sure you know, a lot of it's butane derived, right? BHO mm -hmm. is very yeah. common in the marketplace, just along with the same with rosins. Um, BHO is a non-polar solvent. Volatile sulfur compounds are relatively polar, right? They have a sulfur group on there, but we saw that it did translate into those extracts. So we can confirm that even if you're consuming these extracts, you are getting these same VSC compounds in them as well. Obviously, there is differences though. Mm -hmm. right? And this, we had a different paper on this. It's more like a case study um, where we compared the differences between the same exact strain and lot called Chirpaya. We looked at it in the cured flower, the BHO, and the um, rosin extract to see how do these different extract processes impact the overall flavor, aroma, and the, and the different compounds in there. Because that obviously impacts flavoring yeah. that the consumer's seeing, but also maybe even the effects, right? You have different terpenes that are now changing pretty significantly. And so, I mean, with the science team, was just super cool. We see all these, this new information that we've found before, right? How can we start utilizing this to understand even more about the plant and really empower the community? Well, yeah, that's that's the, the exciting part of, of all of this to me is when you see a, a paper like this that comes out that answers one question, then you generate about a hundred more questions <laughs> leapfrogging <laughs> off of that. I'm like, well, now we have a lot more to, <laughs> to dive into here. Uh, the Curious About Cannabis podcast is sponsored in part by Green Earth Medicinals. Green Earth Medicinals is focused on producing clinically effective herbal medicine they combine full-spectrum cannabis extracts with other functional botanicals for targeted use in clinical settings. From the field to harvest processing, extraction, and formulation, they follow strict quality control measures to ensure they create standardized and safe medicine. Now, full disclosure, I used to work with these guys several years back, helping them create their quality management systems. And there's a lot of really good thought that's gone into a lot of the products that Green Earth Medicinals has and I can say personally, one of the ones that I like a lot is the buckle spray, which I use um, very frequently before speaking engagements and podcast episodes just to ease the nerves a little bit. 
If you want to check out some of their stuff for yourself, you can visit greenearthmedicinals.com. And if you use code CURIOUS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your entire first order. So that's at greenearthmedicinals.com. Use code CURIOUS and you'll get 25% off your first order. And yeah, thanks so much, Green Earth Medicinals, for supporting our work. Um, I really, really appreciate it. If you or your company would like to sponsor Curious About Cannabis and support our work, visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors or contact us to learn more about sponsorship and advertising opportunities that we have available. We can use all the help we can get, and we're very thankful for our dedicated sponsors that help make things like this podcast, a lot of our courses, and other content available at no charge to anyone that has a passion to learn. So thanks so much to all of our sponsors. We really appreciate you. Hey everybody, it's Jason from Curious About Cannabis. If you're as interested in understanding the science of cannabis as I am, then I want to invite you to a really special event. The 2022 Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience, happening at ultimate.cacpodcast.com, starting on August 11th and running all the way through Thanksgiving. You'll get to meet and learn from many of your favorite podcast guests from the show, including people like Murphy Murray, Dr. Kevin Spellman, Kyle Boyer, Jonathan Mintel, who you might know as Botanic Chemist on social media, Nurse Janice Champagne, Dr. Anthony Smith, Dr. Cody Peterson, and a lot more. Join us as we learn about cannabis botany, chemistry, extraction science, cannabis testing, cannabinoid pharmacology, the endocannabinoid system, and a lot more. Just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com to sign up today. And when you sign up, you'll get sent a box of awesome educational tools, including uh, both physical and uh, downloadable version of the Curious About Cannabis book, plus a terpene kit from the workshop, a cannabis journal from Goldleaf, and more. But that's not all. Every attendee of the Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience will get six months of free access to the online Curious About Cannabis Learning Center. And that's home to all sorts of cannabis science self-paced courses, educational resources, including every episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Plus, we may just have a few other surprises for you along the way as well. It's the Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience. It starts August 11th. It runs 15 weeks all the way to Thanksgiving. We've never done an event this big before. And truth be told, we might not have a chance to do another one for at least a couple of years. There are currently 15 spots. Oh, wait, nope, make that 14 spots. We have 14 spots open, so if you want to lock in your spot, just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com and sign up today. That's ultimate.cacpodcast.com. And if you think you're not quite ready to take on the challenge of this workshop as a student, you also have the option of signing up as a spectator, so you can check that out as well. Just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com to learn more. One thing I was wondering about, have you looked into the stability of some of these compounds compared to uh, kind of the more well-known terpenoids, the most common, you know, uh, dozen or so that most people are familiar with that um, come around? Is there anything about the, the sulfur group, the sulfur on there? that influences its, um, you know, resistance to um, uh, transformation, either from exposure to, you know, oxidation or light or anything like that? Um, have you gotten to that point yet? I mean, 
I'll say that some of the volatile sulfur compounds can degrade when they're exposed to heat and oxygen, sure. right? They're, very rea they're reactive in that sense. But the bigger issue is the fact of how volatile they are, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that, as we show in the paper, once you're done with cure, we measured a week after, and we had a yeah. substantial decrease in these VSC compounds because they're just flashing off. Yep. And this is where things like packaging, how you store it, um, are you leaving this in a super hot warehouse in a turkey bag for two months? <laughs> or yep. are you getting this in a package to the store shelf to the consumer in a couple of weeks? Like, these are big questions that really impact the final quality for the end consumer because these are so volatile. And they're even more volatile than things like mercine. And mercine itself is super volatile right. for cannabis. I mean, if anybody who's consumed cannabis that's super fresh off the cure, who's had that luxury versus, say, a month or three month old cannabis, not mm -hmm. only can you tell, differences in the euphoric high you get from the product, but also the flavor, the aroma, it does diminish over time. Yep. And it makes sense, right? This is a cured herb mm -hmm. um, and flower buds, similar to other, like you're getting related to other seasonings, right? You don't keep six-year-old oregano when you go to cook some Italian food. No, you want something fresh, right? Yep. Makes the same sense here. This is just obviously a different application. And some of these things are a lot more volatile for sure. These VSCs just really just love to flash off really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So anyone um, listening that's that's interested in this, just take take note of that. Um, and it, it's it goes with all of these these volatile components. Um, you know, that storage packaging really really does matter. And like you said, we don't understand how these compounds influence effects and potential medical applications and things like that. And so in terms of trying to ensure that consumers have access to the, the, you know, we often talk about full spectrum, broad spectrum, all these terms, but to ensure that consumers actually have access to, uh, you know, this true spectrum of chemistry that the plant produces. Um, it's very important to pay attention to these things. And uh, yeah, that's a really fast purge. Um, I think some people probably think that, you know, there's there's been some, not great research has been published on uh, terpenoid volatization rates and, and transformation and stuff, but you know, that have shown obviously over time, your monoterpenes are coming off, your sesquiterpenes are rising in concentration because of that. Um, and so anyone familiar with that, it's the same sort of deal. Um, yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I used, I did have the paper on the computer behind me, now it's gone black. Um, some of these compounds, some of these sulfur-containing compounds were bigger than others. Some were very small, you know, like uh, literally an isoprene unit, five carbons with the sulfur right there, whereas others it looked like maybe it was a conjugation um, of compounds or something like that. So thinking again about these ratios, it kind of makes sense to me that you'd see the concentrations and ratios kind of... Um, change a bit over time in the same way you'd expect to see monoterpenes and sesquiterpenes kind of change out over time. Yeah, you definitely gonna see these ratios change over time because every chemical compound is going to have um, different speeds at which it um, volatizes off, right? Yeah. Not only is it just the size of the molecule, it's what are they interacting with, True. Are there other, yeah. other things to mm -hmm. encourage it to stay in the plant, right? Obviously, terpenes are within the trichomes. Um, maybe the VSC compounds, maybe they're in trichomes, maybe they're not. Or maybe they're um, slightly bound to something else that helps keep it in there. These are questions we don't know the answers to. What we do know is it does come off really quickly. And how you do store it does impact that obviously really hot environment. 
is something that wants to volatize that just encourages it further. Yeah. And so having a more controlled environment and getting to the end consumer faster and a more sealed packaging definitely helps improve that. Cause it's not like it all leaves instantaneously at once. Right. right? It's, it's, a, it goes at our, it slowly goes at a certain rate. And so, I mean, yeah, we see a huge drop off after a week. doesn't mean it doesn't smell gassy. Right. Right. We're dealing with the most ideal pristine samples that we're getting fresh off from cure. So compared to that, everything is going to seem less fresh, but (laughs) it doesn't mean it's still not fresh, good quality cannabis, right? And it's still going to smell gassy, still Mm -hmm. going to have those same potential euphoric impacts and highs. Um, But it's just important to know how, just for a comparison, how quickly it comes off. So we understand the gravity of how important it is to make these packaging decisions, getting product to consumers and just treating the plant right, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives you more information to understand how you want to decide to move forward with handling it. And and you've already touched on this a little bit, but before we wrap up talking about volatile sulfur compounds and move on to another topic I wanted to get into, what are some of the main questions that you're left with after seeing what, you know, what you've seen in the study and any data that you have kind of behind the scenes? Um where's your head kind of leaning in terms of how you'd like to investigate some of these things further? Obviously you want to see what, is there a difference between this and other flavor aroma compounds we see like original, like old school skunk strains, right? That mm, very mm-hmm. familiar from yeah. older times. Yep. These are interesting questions. I mean, are there other, other volatile sulfur compounds in cannabis that we haven't discovered that we do right. maybe we need to look at these other strain types. There's so many strains today, right? And it's constantly evolving. But really a big one is how do these things, as we mentioned in the paper, what are the potential medicinal benefits or euphoric impacts, right? Does mm-hmm. this impact the end, end consumer experience other, other than just flavor and aroma? Because right. maybe, it, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it right. does. But there is something to be said about people do gravitate towards fresher cannabis and does have a more impactful high of a product. People aren't typically buying year-old cannabis and excited about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like it's it's that's yeah. the real honest truth about it. And so, yep. what what are the answers? Questions we don't know. I would love to find out, especially on the like the medicinal impacts and euphoric high. Like, because obviously we we're into everything terpenes and flavor on cannabis, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do these impact the end user experience? I mean, we don't know. Yep, and it'll take a long time to investigate. So, all of you uh, young scientists out there listening. Um, you have plenty to munch on in terms of <laughs> uh, research opportunities and things. It's uh, a, a long time ago, I interviewed Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo, um, you know, popularized, popularized the endocannabinoid system. And uh, we were talking about the future of cannabis research and everything. And he was like, gosh, it'll, it'll be multiple lifetimes before we even have a good understanding of, you know, what we mean by the entourage effect or oh my god yes you know. <laughs> <laughs> think about how many compounds are you have so many cannabinoids the color the flavonoids like the color compounds the terpene terpenes bscs there's just man there's so much at play and you're talking hundreds if not thousands of variables to tune and figure out what's actually happening here i mean and just a just a wealth of research to happen really well and i That's one thing exciting. i was one thing i was going to ask you too as you dove into this and saw all of these data points, there's always that part of me that's thinking about research design and variables. And did your heart ever quiver a little bit thinking about all of the um, variables and replicates and how the stats were going to go on some of this stuff when you're looking at so many different compounds? 
on some of them for sure. But I mean, at first we came in, we had a bunch of different samples, a different quality, we ran it by our sensory panel. We saw there was a trend, right? So like, hey, let's look in the data. Let's not narrow it down. Let's not like start evaluating it too heavily and get scared yet. Let's see if there's a trend. <laughs> yes. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully, there was a nice trend to follow at first that we saw, okay, cool. We came in this thinking there was some kind of sulfur compounds. This, our data confirmed it. We see the trend. So let's dive further into that. If it wasn't that, oh man, that would have been a nightmare, man. <laughs> that would have been, there's just so much there, right? It's just, there is, it's such yeah. a complex plant. It's, man. Well, and I, I just think about like little studies that I've done just looking at like THC and CBD. And I mean, it spins out into so many data points so fast when you're starting to think about, okay, we'd like to do triplicate preparations and triplicate injections on the machine. And you're like, okay, I'm now getting into the like thousands, you know, of samples and data points we're going to have to analyze. I mean, it really stacks up quickly. So I just, I like to point that out because um, I think especially for folks that aren't scientists that are doing this stuff regularly, it's easy to um, take for granted what it takes to just even process the statistics on, you know, some of these chemical analyses and everything to get a paper published. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, um, that it's a lot of work um, and it's a lot of data points and um, you do have to be very selective <laughs> on what you want to investigate and how you want to go about it because you can end up um, spending just a ton of time with these massive, massive, massive spreadsheets um, trying to wrangle all of this data in. Um, oh yeah, I mean there's just there's so much knowledge, there's so much data, there's so many different samples. Cannabis right. isn't cheap, right? Like if you're buying a weed, if you want to, even <laughs> yeah. 10, that's like, yep. that's like a few hundred dollars. Yep. If you're doing triplicates of things, the price just went up. You want to go yep. into uh, peer-reviewed scientific publication, you have to do your due diligence, make sure you develop your statistics, really look into these things. You can't just do one study and be like, oh, I found the gas. <laughs> or, or, or I ran one sample, there it is. You know, Press no, release, you let's go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you have to look into it and say, hey, you know, is this actually the gas? How does, is it just this one compound? Is there multiple there? Is this, is there something else at play? Do the terpenes mean anything? Yeah. Maybe Jack Herrer types have it as well. You have to do your due diligence and really look into these things. And yeah, it definitely balloons the study and the amount of work that goes into it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of work into it. And that's why there's still a lot of work to be done, right? Because there's so many exactly. variables and so many things to look into. And the industry isn't slowing down anytime soon. Oh, Cultivators no. are constantly coming out with the newest, coolest thing. The yep. extractor is always finding new ways to develop newer extracts you've never heard of before. And so <laughs> yeah. as that continues to evolve, us scientists that are trying to understand the flavor and aroma of it on the back end have to play catch up and understand what makes these all unique and different. And just fun. It's new challenges, right? New yep. things to look into. That's right. You've always got the, you know, I think of the cultivators and the processors as, um, you know, the artists that are thinking about like, what can we do? What can we create? And then the scientists are running behind and like, let's figure out why, <laughs> why, how? And I'm glad <laughs> always playing catch up. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're trailblazing, right? They come absolutely. up with so many cool things. I mean, like all the work Sherbinsky has done over the years, yes. the Run Skies, all the different cultivators out there, just so many really great work that's been done and continue to be more and more. And as more and more states come on board, right? It's there's gonna... more cultivators, there's more regions, right? Just yep. The way it's grown in different areas of the U.S. impact, the different flavors and aromas, possibly, right? Probably. We see this with other, but we see this with other um, uh, botanicals that are grown absolutely there's a reason yep. citrus from south america has different taste profiles like their essential oils and if you get it from florida 
Yep. Not that one is better or worse than the other, but they're mm-hmm. different. Yep. And so as more and more cannabis gets legalized around the world, you're just adding even more layers of complexity and um, more things to look into, really. Absolutely, yeah. And that that really bridges nicely into what I wanted to talk about next, You know, thinking about the evolution of extracts and where the industry is going. Obviously, vaping has become huge. Um, and there was a study that you were involved in looking at um, emissions from common diluents that are used in vape pens. Um, obviously, the most uh, probably negatively renowned at this point, <laughs> vitamin E acetate, um, but as well as others. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about that and and kind of put my quality hat on and thinking about what consumers need to know about the vape products that are on the market. What are they getting mixed with? How do they evaluate the quality of those things? And so let's just start off talking about the the published study, and then we can spin off from there. Um, you mind describing for our listeners um, what exactly were you um, looking for? What diluents did you examine, and um, did some of the findings surprise you? See, so initially this was, man, was a while ago. And I think it was yeah. back in. Was I believe we started this in early 2019, maybe even mm-hmm. late 2018. It's published to, in 2020, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, reached out to Dr. Lin and Juan Juan. Mm -hmm. our two uh, main collaborators on that work with a bunch of other scientists. I mean, they really focus in on um, how different vape products impact the atmosphere. What are these different things potentially converting to, right? What degradants are there? Um, And so we were, at that time, thickeners have come onto the market. Um, And that was obviously stuff like Honeycut, right? Very demonized name at this point, but at at that time, it was was very popular. People didn't know. No, and they they had come to us. I remember not maybe not them, but I had had folks come to us say, "Hey, you know, we would like thickening agents," and they'd given us samples. And we analyzed them. So, hey, this is like, what is this stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are people putting in their pens? I mean, you want to dilute a pen, but fool a consumer? I mean, it doesn't. I don't, ethically, it's kind of questionable, right? At best, yes, absolutely. At worst, it's really bad. And yeah. so, when you're looking at like, hey, there's this as an industry, we're constantly evolving, right? We move so quickly. But now we're adding in a lot of things right now. And it's not even just like a little bit. At that time, people were adding a lot of diluents, like 50, yes. 60, some were even like 90%. And you're smoking just as diluent. I mean, we're already yeah. adding in a lot of extracts and flavor stuff. Now we add in something at tenfold the concentration. Okay, what's going on here? And so we were just curious, like, hey, you know, what's potentially here? We know PG is approved by the FDA for inhalation, right? Mm-hmm. It's used a lot in inhalers. Um, but it's very heavily used in the e-juice and e-cigarette and like nicotine industry. So when you look at those, VG, MCT, um, PEG 400, yeah. just because that's another common one that's been used yep. previously in the past, also not great to consume, right? Yeah. Um, as well as vitamin E, vitamin E acetate, triethyl citrate, just common diluents as well as we want to see the really vitamin E and vitamin E acetate because it hadn't been too heavily studied in. How folks are mentioning they're using this in their products, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, that sounds kind of weird. You look at the chemical molecules; these are huge compounds. Like, oh, wonder, yeah. wonder, you're inhaling these things, right? This isn't you're not like eating it. Where exactly, you go you're just coating your lungs with it. Yeah, <laughs> your lungs are a total different beast, man. I mean, you're talking about is it can it even pass through that barrier to go right. into your system? Or do you even want that to happen? Or is this going to now? Is it going to sit in your lungs? Can they even get rid of it? Is it going to pool up? I mean. 
there's so many questions out there, but what we really wanted to see is what are the degradants that are forming here? Is there any like diacetyl, right? Mm -hmm. Obvious big evil compound of in inhalable products that's very, very much demonized because a popcorn lung yeah. has a lot of issues. And so we, they were very interested in working in cannabis products and they'd come, we had talked to them and I said, hey, you know, they, they have very much wanted to see how can we help improve the cannabis industry to make sure that folks aren't making poor decisions um, when they're formulating products that are going to hurt consumers and like, hey, there's a lot of things we can look at, right? We already we already talked about how there's so many things in cannabis. Now you're yeah. there's so there's so much you can go into, but this is a potential big problem. We're having people using five, ten, ninety five percent this diluent. Let's look in these diluents, right? Maybe there's something here. And so we started looking into it, and that summer the vape crisis happened, yeah, right? That's what I was going to say. You timed hurt. this like perfectly. And I was like, man, dodged a bolt there. Definitely glad yeah. I avoided these things. It's from business ethic, it seemed bad, but. It just did, just didn't look right, and so we were looking into them, and what started coming out in some of the results of what's in that paper is you had quinone formation happening yep. as a degradant. Quinones, for people who aren't familiar, these in, in like beverage products, not as much of an issue, but when you're talking about things like pollutants, these degradant compounds can be very irritating, um, be very oxidizing, and damage your lungs potentially as well. So when started mm -hmm. forming these radical. Um, quinones and just regular quinones as well it became very concerning and these were only vitamin e and vitamin e acetate as well and so it just raised more questions of man you know like maybe people should start taking a more ethical approach to these things and being yeah like take a step back and say you know maybe let's not put 90 percent of our product being a diluent um and just to fool consumers like that's not cool man it's just an like, idea yeah. <laughs> but at the, and at the same time there's more to look into here right yeah. and so yeah. We saw like the Oregon State Legislator um, come mm -hmm. out and ban a lot of fillers, which is probably the right move, right? There was a lot of um, harm. There's a lot of harmful products that are being added because, as an industry, we were just so young and we're just not thinking about things. But it's yes. been nice ever since that the industry has taken a much harder look at itself and made better, more conscious decisions about not using things like vitamin E, vitamin E acetate. I can't remember the last time even somebody used one of those. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Thank God, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I found extremely alarming because I just just like you were saying, you think about it, you know, these are these are compared to terpenes and cannabinoids. These are big molecules. Um, and it, like you mentioned, uh, one, do you want them to be coating your lungs? Two, if they can get into your bloodstream through your lungs, do you actually want that to happen? You know, unfiltered, it's not going through your liver. You know, there's no uh, all of the typical safeguards your body would have in place to protect you, um, just totally bypassed. And just from some of the, you know, pharmacodynamics I understand about just cannabinoids and, and lipids in general, um, and how they interact with the blood and, um, it, it just, yeah, it makes you wonder a lot of questions, um, about these, these heavy, heavy compounds, like, could they build up in other parts of the body? I don't know. Like, you know, there's all sorts of things you'd expect that they would, a lot of it would get eliminated, but there's also potential for them to kind of get kind of stuck around. Um, could they get stuck around in your arteries or something? We don't know. Um, I'm trying to remember the study that you did because this diluent has become more popular since the vitamin E acetate stuff. Did y'all look at Phytol? I have to look at the paper. I don't, 
believe so. I don't think we so. Might, I don't... We might have. I don't remember. It's a terpene base. It's another big molecule, but Phytol also, I know it's gotten more popular as a potential diluent. Um, Phytol also has a flavor to it, unlike mm-hmm. vitamin E and vitamin E acetate, which are pretty flavorless, right? Yeah. Which explains why they're popular, but even Phytol to this day, I don't, I don't know if too many people that use it anymore, to be honest with you, because it also has been um, viewed pretty unfavorably, especially in yeah, Canada. It was an article that came out, uh, was that last year or so? That I think it was like a, yeah, a year or two ago. I think the big piece on Phytol. Who was it? I think Canopy did the work potentially with like, mm-hmm. can't remember the name of the lab, unfortunately, but they did some nice work on it to look and see, you know, is there potential for concern here? Because that, again, that was another um, really thick, viscous terpene people were adding to dilute their product and um, it's obviously make it cheaper, but. Right had some other added it to which may not have been the greatest of idea either but ultimately when we came into this original paper when we were looking at these things we can keep in mind we're analytical chemists right we care about the mm-hmm. flavor and aroma of cannabis products we also want to empower the industry and so that's how we collaborated with the atmospheric chemists and um, researchers who understand that biological aspect that we may yeah. not be experts in here much today what we're good at and we see things that are questionable like that we're not going to dive in and take that risk Especially yeah. when something so questionable like that just didn't right. didn't seem right, and so worked with them. I'm just glad we had that yeah. forethought to avoid that problem and instead help again empower the industry to make better choices. Well, and they ran um, cell viability studies along with that, right? So they were exposing some of these um, emissions to cells just to just to look at cytotoxicity um, to understand um, how they're influencing things, and particularly like you you mentioned these compounds that were. Um, coming out of uh, vitamin E and vitamin E acetate, um, they did appear to be quite cytotoxic um, when they were running those those panels. Um, and so for consumers that are listening, that are maybe starting to get freaked out as we're talking about all this stuff casually. <laughs> Naturally, uh, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Which is something I always try to be conscious of because like, when you're dealing with especially analytical chemistry and quality testing and stuff. You just talk very like nonchalant about all of these things that otherwise might freak people out. Um, how should consumers be thinking about um, products? And do you have any advice for how they should evaluate the quality um, of a vape pen or a, a manufacturer? Like what questions should they be thinking about or, or posing to companies, dispensaries, et cetera? Um, just how should people be thinking more critically about these products? I mean, it's just really the kind of product experience you're looking for, right? Thankfully, most most brands at this point don't really. If you're especially going to a regulated, um, licensed dispensary, right, in a in a legal yeah. state, recreationally or even medically, typically there's quality testing standards in place. You don't have to worry about pesticide contamination. Mycobutanol, when you vape it and heat it up, converts to cyanide gas. Mm-hmm. Not good at all. Yeah. Used to be a huge problem. Eagle yeah. 20 was so popular. It's yeah. such a huge problem. And so if you're going to a licensed facility, don't have to worry about that. Solvents like methanol, um, obviously ethanol is a solvent used in extraction. Not as worrisome, but things like methanol or acetone, probably not very good to vape either. Yeah. Again, going to a licensed dispensary, not being a problem because states regulate these. So you're not going to worry about, worry about it. And so brands who test their products... That's one of the first things you should be looking at. Are they testing for pesticides? Are they testing for solvents? Are they testing for heavy metals? Probably not a good idea to vape mercury and lead. I wouldn't want to. No way, right? And thankfully, again, the industry dealing with um, legitimate 
um, hardware manufacturers like AVD and C-Cell, yeah. PAX, right, have taken good steps in the right direction to make sure that they're not having these issues. And brands, like if you're getting your license dispensary, you're testing for these things. So how much of a concern? And now on the formulated product, when you're smoking the product, is it like super irritating and making you coughing and sneeze a lot? Probably shouldn't smoke a lot of it, right? Maybe your battery is burning too hot. Maybe mm -hmm. you have a product that has way too much flavor and terpenes in it. That's irritating. If something's irritating, it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. You know, and thankfully, again, a lot of the industry has moved away from that. I mean, towards having a, an amount that you can taste it and it tastes good and it has a good experience, it's a good smell and aroma, but it's not like overwhelmingly, right? So yeah. it's not, because remember, you, I'm sure you're familiar with like the old days of vape pens. Oh, like yes. Taste motor on, oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on fire. <laughs> your nose is sneezing for like yes. five minutes. Yeah. It can't be good for you. I mean, I don't have any science to back it up to say it's exactly what's happening, but logically, if it's that irritating, it's probably not a good experience. But really, the key ones are just do they have the testing to back it up? Because that's where the real problems lie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I and to piggyback on that, I would say under unfortunately, consumers sometimes have to take this upon themselves. I hope that testing regulations catch up, but you do have to look at how each state tests. For some of those things, particularly with metals, because, um, for instance, <clears throat> the big difference between Oregon and California um, was, I think they're in the process of changing this now, but in California, they actually crack open the carts and test the oil out of the carts, whereas in Oregon, they would test the bulk oil before it goes in the carts. And so any leaching that might happen from exposure to bad hardware, you wouldn't catch in Oregon, but you would catch in California. Um, so there's some little nuances like that, that it's, get, it's getting better. The testing regulations are improving as, you know, different states are doing different things and learning and all the other states are looking at each other, trying to understand what's the best regulatory model for these things. So a lot of that has improved quite a lot since the early days. I mean, you jump back to 2013 or so, and <laughs> it was a uh, wild, wild west. And I remember some of those early vape pens if you didn't throw them away before you got like three quarters of the way through, you'd get one good hit on there that you know there is some toxic plastic fume something coming through that would taste like motor oil. It would make you cough so hard and your body and brain are just telling you never put this in my body again. Um, exactly. and, and fortunately, I have not run into anything like that in quite a long time. Um, so folks that are getting into all of this stuff now, you just don't even know what you've missed. Um, and, <laughs> the good old days, not really. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days of self-experimentation and poisoning. Um, but I mean, really, it's just, I would say the big ones are always just metals, solvents, pesticides, which most yeah. states, if they go to recreational or even medical, mandate testing for it. Pesticides, obviously the most scary, right? But it's, do they have a good process for it? Are they doing overkill or not? Like California, Oregon typically have a pretty good model for it. Canada, a very good model for it. And a lot of states are starting to onboard that because there's obviously um, a lot at play, right? Of doing, yeah. testing the wrong things that make no sense. Or, <laughs> yes. or at levels that make no sense. And yeah, exactly. But then there's things that do make a lot of sense, right? Like, mm -hmm. In Oregon, they test to make sure there's no vitamin E acetate in a product. Right. Pretty good test, if you ask me. Yeah. Considering what happened. Yep. Test to make sure there's no microbutanol in there. Pretty good test, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like I said, that's that's something I'm happy to see, is that the regulators are trying to 
take this information and figure out because there used to be no testing for any sort of diluents um and it was it was totally open it was just pesticide pesticides were the main concern which was rightfully so because it was a really bad problem in the early days um and so the diluent stuff really slipped by unnoticed for a long time and for folks that are maybe not in a regulated market um and no judgment to anyone out there and what you do but if you're getting vape pens off the black market there's a very different situation um so are there any you know you kind of mentioned this a little bit but are there any kind of tells that if someone maybe is using a uh, vape pen off the black market that they could get some indication that maybe there's some diluents in here that i don't actually want to be inhaling or maybe there's something um, off. You mentioned that some have tastes, uh, you know, vitamin E and vitamin E acetate. You almost have the sep the opposite problem of which you won't cough at all. Um, <laughs> so it's it's kind of a... <laughs> That's where uh, it's hard, right? The unregulated yeah. market is difficult because um, if they're using thickening agents um, to reduce potency, obviously there's no real way to, at least currently, at the end consumer who's bought, purchasing this product to determine is there any of these products in there, right? Obviously, yeah. you can tell if it looks like water in the pen. That's a problem, but mm -hmm. that hasn't really been... People have kind of moved away from that. Well, you think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a lot of, I have a lot of friends in the Southeast that are still uh, heavily involved in... Uh, that show me what they get from the black market, and it's like going back in time 10 years. It's scary. Dang. That's, I mean, that's one way, obviously, you can... You just have to look up on the vape cartridge, but um, if you look at the bottom of the vape cartridge, if it's a reputable hardware manufacturer, typically they'll have their name and logo on the bottom. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can look at online to make sure it's the right one, because knockoff hardware typically has a lot of heavy yep. metals in it, right? That's a huge problem. Um, yes, yes. As far as now knowing if there's pesticides, that's, I mean, there's so many out there. I mean, I mean if uh, Yeah, and you won't taste them. I mean, it's... No, I mean, they're going to be in like part per billion concentration. Exactly, it sounds yeah. like nothing, but when it converts to cyanide gas, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be consuming that personally. And, it sounds and like if you're vaping day. it regularly, you know, day after day, that chronic exposure is, it can take a toll. And so in the unregulated market, it's just, it's super difficult, man. But yeah. I mean, we see the increase in a lot of other cannabis products and in these other markets that are legalized, right? Like the D8 products and what may have yep. you that at least have aren't having a bunch of pesticides or aren't having a bunch of these thickening agents in it right which are huge issues yeah yeah it is nice to see you know like all of the controversy around delta aid and talking about you know the byproducts formed from synthesis of cbd to delta eight and everything it is you know from one standpoint it's like those are such better minor concerns compared to all of the vast concerns that we've had in the past. Um, it's still a concern and still things we need to understand, um, but it's nice to reflect and, and recognize just how far the regulated industry has come in a relatively small amount of time. I mean, these regulations are changing almost every year in these states um, to try to keep up and, and keep consumers you know, relatively safe. Um, so it is, you know, I haven't taken the time to really think back to these old vape pens and all the things that I've experienced. Because I started working in the industry as a scientist in 2013. And so, yeah, these products have changed quite a bit. I remember seeing vape pens that were cloudy and milky 
Um, before you learn how to winterize, man. Moving yes, the fats and lipids. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they get clogged and uh, they'd have water still in them, like you mentioned. Some would even mold. Um, Oof. That's not good. That sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it was it was crazy. I was just like, what are, what are we doing? Um, so, yeah, things have come a long way. And um, consumers in regulated states, they have it pretty good these days compared to where we came from. Um, I see we're getting close on the hour, so I want to start to wrap up here. Um, but I guess one last question I'll ask you, just kind of a fun spinoff. Um, <clears throat> what are kind of a few things um, that we haven't discussed um, today that um, Abstracts is working on that you're exciting? One thing I didn't have time to really go into is... Um, um, how Abstracts is trying to leverage machine learning to understand how different um, aroma and flavor blends are contributing to effects and everything. So, um, you know, we've got about about five minutes left here. Um, I want to see if there's anything that we haven't covered that you're just excited want to share with our listeners. Yeah, I mean, with the machine learning, we're working with the effects lab at Budboard. Um, working with them, we've been able to pull in lot-specific user review data, coupled with lot-specific lab testing data so we can start um, correlating with actual user consumer um, user reviews that say hey they consumed this lot of OG Kush at, which had this amount of uh, these terpenes in there they were more sedating right or Blue Dream was mm -hmm. more like an uplifting creative focus or whatever effects right and start pulling in these um, hundreds of thousands or millions of data points into some AI learning and start predicting out what would be the most optimized ratio of these terpenes to get these desired um, specific effects out of it. And so we started working with them to start pulling out this data and say, hey, what's the most like um, peaceful, like more relaxing, sleepy type blend we can come at us or an energizing, creative, focused blends that have these exact effects we're looking for. And so we pulled in all this data and developed the machine tell us like, hey, this is the most ideal one. We pulled into our flavor team because um, our flavor team, every day we're working on how do we make these mm -hmm. products taste good, right? It's cool if it has optimized effects, but if it doesn't taste good, nobody's going to want to consume right. that, right? Nope. Nobody enjoys the taste of like Robitussin, at least not the majority of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we don't want to make that for a vape product. So we've, we're very mindful of that. We pull in the data. We adjust the formulations to make sure that it is palatable. It's going to have a more modest but mild flavor profile. And we run it through the software again, see does this actually still have the mood enhancements we're looking for. And it did. So we worked with um, a world-leading scent psychologist, um, Dr. Avery Gilbert, who's pioneered a lot of testing metrics for um, when you smell a product, how does this impact your mood? And quantifying that to say, and start making correlations to confirm that these are doing what we say they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So we can, we can confirm like, hey, the machine and all the data says that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We made sure it smells and tastes like it's supposed to and that it's actually going to work good in formulations and now worked with dr avery gilbert to confirm that these do what we um, plan and hope they would do and they confirm that they did now we can use these products to formulate into whole different product lines right you yeah. want to use it for a vape product line to have the specific mood enhancements maybe you want to pair that with a, tr a strawberry flavor we can do that mm, we have yeah, that opportunity now Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're a beverage company and you already have your lemonade flavor. You already have like your lemonade or your iced tea or whatever, right? It was your soda. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah. But you want to add some functionality to it that you typically couldn't before. You now have some terpenes you could leverage to have some mood enhancement in your products. 
And so, because we can create water soluble emulsions out of these products right. and start leveraging that technology in traditional food and beverage products and beer products, right? Maybe you have a beer you want to try and add some terpenes to and make something yeah. fun. Craft beer is always about making what's the newest, coolest thing you can oh, do. Yeah. Yep. And so we love working with the craft beer guys, um, using our technology to find cool solutions for them. We mean, we worked with some of the craft beer guys to analyze different hop profiles and understand what makes hops um, flavor and unique so special. Why are different varieties of hops like Centennial taste different than Chinook or Cascade? Yeah. And then understand these different profiles so we can start creating flavoring products, which we launched in the beginning of May to help address some problems in the brewing industry, right? Obviously, nice. we see all these fires in the Pacific um, Northwest. Definitely, that's where all the hops are going, right? It's going to impact the quality of hops. Some of them are going to burn. Some of them are going to taste smoky. How do you address these growing concerns in the industry? And so we're just finding out other ways to apply our technology to help out other industries and find some cool science in the meantime as well. Yeah, that's, it's su that's super fascinating. I'm really looking forward to seeing how um, that all evolves over the next several years because as you get more data points and you know, you're making decisions off of bigger and bigger and bigger data sets. Um, that's going to be fascinating, man. That's really cool. Um, that's really, really interesting. It's a fun industry, man. There's always new things to find out, right? So yeah, just where do we put our focus and attention on and not get too distracted? Because there's just, there's that's so the, many questions to answer, right? Can't get stuck yeah. and just spinning our wheels. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what once was, uh, dubbed to me analysis paralysis oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well this is all super fascinating and you know we might have to do a follow-up sometime just to talk about um some of uh, just that stuff the correlations between formulations and effects and what goes into that and um obviously there's all sorts of nuance to unpack just around that topic um and I also am sure by the time that I catch up with you again, um, I would be surprised if I didn't see some more research studies come out. Um, so I'll be following Abstracts Tech um, very closely to try to see um, uh, what you're all working on and um, and what you're publishing. And um, I don't know, I'm really excited. I like I said, it's it's always fun for me when I find a company that's a you know developing products, but is clearly demonstrating their commitment to both science. Um, quality and consumer safety, um, you know, and really taking that ethical science-driven approach um, to business. I mean, I, it's that checks all the boxes for me. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to see how the company evolves over time and interested to see you personally and, and your contributions and, and how things proceed. So um, I guess to, to close this out, let folks know how to learn more about Abstracts Tech. Um, what's the website? How do they find you on social media? Um, all that jazz, I'll give you the floor um, to close this out. Yeah, you can go to our social media. It's on Instagram at Abstracts Tech. Um, or you can go to our website, abstractstech.com. At abstractstech.com, it's where we have all of our case studies and white papers on um, our different science work we've done, where we, like the one we talked about earlier, where we compare different extracts to flour and how that impacts the flavor and aroma, right? What are these processing, how these process methods affect that? The AI blends, like the using machine learning to understand and develop products. We have a whole case study on there about that. As well as we have links to our peer-reviewed publication. Um, it's open access. A lot of publications are behind paywalls. We decided to go yes. to open access and pay for that. So that way we can make sure the industry as a whole has access to it. And so all these things can be accessed on our website and all the other work we've done over the years to 
further empower and uplift the industry. And, and as we come up with the new work, we're going to keep continuing to put it up there for the rest of the industry to look out for. That's awesome. And and as a note for people listening, once again, if you're not a scientist, not involved in publishing, I just want to point out how awesome it is that they are making their papers open access because I'm in the process of doing this right now, going through peer review on a paper. And I mean, it costs several thousand dollars to make something open access. And I think people don't necessarily realize that. They think that because it's open access, it must have been free to publish, but that's absolutely not the case. It is um, a substantial cost, not just financially, but also time you know, just getting through the peer review process and everything too. So I just want folks listening to appreciate um, that anytime you see folks that are uh, making their papers available for open access, they are paying to make that happen. Um, so um, I don't know, just hopefully that um, will help people appreciate that even more when they um, see those things. And um, I try to find good open access papers to include in um, Curious About Cannabis stuff. And I'm sure we'll be referencing your your studies and some of our classes and things. Um, and like I mentioned, if you're listening right now, you should be able to look at the show notes of this episode and get links to at least um, two of the papers that we've talked about today. Um, I think we might've referenced a couple more. I'll try to go back through and remember and provide links to those. So you can check those out yourself and read through them. And um, yeah, thanks so much, TJ, for taking the time today. This was a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thanks for having me on, man. It was really fun talking about everything. Absolutely. All right, everybody. If you want to find Curious About Cannabis anywhere on the web, you know, probably know where to find us by now. Um, CACpodcast.com or uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, so with that, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye, everyone. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.